what it does, it provokes us a little bit, right? It, it almost like you've had a, a brother, I got a big brother, and you have a, a brother do that to you sometimes, like, uh, they make you have to choose a side. He, he, Proverbs is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to provide this, this intense language because I want you to have to deal with where you are, right? And that's how you do that, right? You, 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 when, you, when you want someone to know where they are, you, you, put, you draw a line in the sand and say, okay, here's where we are. Now, which side are you on? And so that's what Proverbs does throughout the Proverbs. It gives these pretty intense passages, pretty intense look at the human heart and human life. And that's why we, we read these fast, right? And we, we, we stay at the ones that are really cool and that remind us of ourselves and the ones that remind us of how evil we are. We like to keep going real fast, right? And so, but in that, what, what God is trying to do is trying to humble you and me to trust our Savior because when you read Proverbs or any book of the matter in the Bible, what it does, it, it exposes us for who we are and it shows us our need for Jesus, you, I mean, seriously, if you really go to the Bible, if you're honest, the Bible should, should um, demythologize you. It should show you all your myths. It should, every time you should go convicted, you should leave convicted. I mean, if you're leaving like, man, I'm just so good. I read the Bible, and I just realized I'm, I'm even better than I thought I was. Like, you don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Because I ain't what the Bible supposed to do. The Bible is like bad people, good God. Like, that's the whole point. Okay? So that's what Proverbs is doing. Proverbs is asking us, are you wise or are you a fool? And then through each one, we get to kind of self-assess ourselves and and hopefully with a humble heart um, answer those questions appropriately and trust our Savior. Okay? Uh, So so now we're talking, we're going to talk about the wise and uh, the the reality of you're wise, you understand your heart. Uh, The word heart uh, is is used over and over and over again uh, in um, in the Bible. I think it's even over 900 times or so. Um, uh Uh-oh. Yeah, even 900, even 900 times or so in the Bible. So, it, um, so, I, so I must say, if you're using words like this so many times, it, it might be good for us to do somewhat of a study and understand what, what Jesus means when he's talking about heart. Before we do that, what I want to do is I want to talk about um, how we view heart <laughs> um, as a community. Um, right here I talk about the world follows its father, Adam. What I mean by that is basically we're in a culture today where this subject is going to kind of hurt a little bit. And the reason why is because of this. It's because you and I are in a culture where we don't talk about our heart, okay? We, we don't focus on the internal. We focus on the external, all right? And so what happens is in our culture, basically, we're in a culture where, just like Adam, right, when Adam sinned against Eve, I mean, sinned, and, and sin came into the world, and then the father questioned him, uh, what was his disposition? He blamed Eve, right? And so that's what we do as a culture, and when we blame, right, when we blame, what, what are you saying when you blame someone? Right, you're, you're absolving your guilt, right? Even if you're guilty, when you blame, what you're saying is like, okay, I'm guilty, but if this person wouldn't have done this or if this person wouldn't have done that. And soon as you do that, what you're really saying is you're not, you're not really guilty. You follow me? And so, and so that's our disposition, right? And that's why you, we see it all the time. We, uh, or we, we, we're guilty and then we try to figure out a way externally to fix ourselves. And even when we do that, what we're saying, it wasn't really me. It's this, con- it's this issue, this thing, right? And so that's what happens. You know, um, you get a guy who's in a, he's a senator. He finds himself, you know, sleeping with other women. And then he, you know, then everybody's like, oh, my goodness, can't believe this happens. And then he gets up front and he says, hey, I got a sleeping with woman problem. And so I'm going to go off to the sleeping with woman, you know, hospital and get fixed. 
That's what happens, right? And then they go off for six months, and then the world, because we all identify with him, because we all are blamers, we don't just say, I'm sinful and I'm jacked up, my heart's evil. We say, no, if I wouldn't have this problem, I would be okay. So let me go off to the farm to fix it, right? And you go off for six months, and then Tiger Woods comes back, and after a while, everybody's like, oh, he's cool, right? Even though his marriage is destroyed, his kids now have to, you know, visit and see their daddy, Right, even though there's catastrophic realities, he's okay now. That's our world, because he went off and got some counseling. So, so that's what we do. But I want to propose we cannot fix our problems. The Bible makes it clear we're evil. And, and left unto yourself, you can try all that. We can go to the, uh, these programs and that program. And don't, now, hear me here. I, I, obviously, there are cases where people have anatomic issues, all right? Um, like people where you just, you're born with something that's just abnormal, okay, uh, and you need some outside assistance. What I'm proposing is what we've done is we've super overly medicated our culture where everything should be fixed, okay? And so no one's talking sin and evil anymore, right? And when you do, you're a bad guy. You know, it's really not that. It's not me. It's the stuff around me, right? So we cannot fix ourselves and we will not recognize our own depravity. Because when you, when, you, when you stop blaming, what you have to do is now you have to pause and recognize your own depravity. You have to come to grips with, no, it wasn't that one. It wasn't this. It was me. It was my, it was me. There's something in me that's evil. So we use therapy and medicine to deal with sin problems many times. Now, many times... Therapy is really good. And, for the, and I propose to you, it's really good for people who understand their sin problem. Okay? Because when you stop blaming and you say, I'm jacked up, I'm evil, and now you're willing to deal with who you are, you're willing to deal with reality, now we can talk about it. But see, if you have therapy without recognizing your depravity, all you're going to want is effects and you're not going to deal with the cause. See, that's all you're going to want. So it's not that therapy is necessarily bad, and I even propose, even you think of our therapists, even unbelieving therapists, they get something when they even do the sense of like, they want you to go back, oh, so you struggle with this scenario, and you, they want you to go back to when you were younger, when, when something happened to you. There's something redemptive about that, because what they're really saying is that in our jacked up world, we get, all, we get uh, contaminated, right? So we, we're evil in ourselves, and then we get contaminated, right? And then we build lies in our belief system, and then we begin to live out those lies like they're true. And so the therapist, even that knowing Jesus, gets the fact that, okay, there's something that has to happen in healing that person with some of the stuff that's happened in their life. But when the focus of that is not to deal with necessarily the inner cause of our depravity, Right, but just to try and deal with that one circum- that c- circumstance, you're still wanting just an effect. You're still wanting the person to stop drinking, the person to stop beating their wife, versus dealing with the evil heart. You see the difference? It's a very important nuance as we discuss. If we use therapy and medicine, if we're not into our understanding our own depravity, we realize we cannot fix ourselves. If we still think we can. What happens is we are necessarily the victim, and if we can d- direct the blame, uh, what we try to do is direct the blame elsewhere. So 
So obviously, when you are a blame shifter, what you're really saying, and this is this is what makes it really scary, and I, I live this as a pastor, okay, which I'm like, Lord, give me the longevity to keep doing this. Because I'm like, only, only the Holy Spirit, I'm not looking at guys who are 30 years as a pastor, and I'm like, wow, praise the Lord. Because when you see this over and over again, it, gets, it just gets taxing. Is that I'm a blamer and you're a blamer, okay? And so what we do is when we're blamers, what we're necessarily saying is not just you're a blamer. Now you become the victim because you're saying, okay, so it wasn't me. It was this scenario, and I would be good if that wasn't happening to me. So now it's like almost you've exalted yourself. You're not even neutral. You're like, no, I'm off the chain. I should be here. You know, why are you doing that to me? You look what you're doing to me. And, and now you're actually the victim. The blamer becomes a victim. And you've seen that in your house if you're married. You've done that in your house if you're married. I do it all the time. Where I'm the victim. Look what you've done, Sarah. I wouldn't have yelled at you if you would have just cleaned that area up. You did this to me. Right? She's looking like. Our focus becomes the external rather than the internal. This is what the world wants us to do. And we've bought the lie in a local church. You know, even our journey, as we're doing discipline and all this stuff, we have to renew our minds that God is serious about stuff, and he wants to deal with the internal. He doesn't, he's, he's not necessarily concerned with what everything looks like outside. If that is your focus, you will always thwart the word of God. If your focus is external, you will always play to the masses. And the scary thing, you might look right the rest of your life. Because all the mass is saying the same thing because the world system hates God. <laughs> right? So you walk in and skip and think, I'm right. See, I'm, everybody else saying it. They don't even love the Lord. So Proverb argues different than this, guys. Proverb says the root problem is not the external but the heart. So we'll talk about that in a moment. That there is a cause-effect relationship between the heart and life, Okay? Cause and effect, that basically Proverbs is saying that if your heart is jacked up, if you're evil and you're depraved and your heart's messed up, it's going to reflect your life. And that's the one thing that's scary too, guys. So here's the thing that the Bible does that messes us all up, right, messes me up all the time. The Bible says, it, I don't care necessarily about what your intentions are. Now, why? I'm going to prove, I want to prove to you from Scripture because the Bible says the heart is deceitful. You could at a gut level have good intentions and still be doing evil things. And so what the Bible does, it says, so I'm, I see Jesus, you know, the whole Trinity hanging out. So then how do we help people understand that they're still evil? Fruit. Let's do fruit. So the way we know things is by fruit. Right? Let's keep talking. The wise will embrace ownership of sin and will reject blame. So the Proverbs is arguing, hey, if you're really wise, you're gonna, we're going to learn this skill by God's grace. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me a heart to not be a blame shifter, but to own my stuff. Give me a heart to go, yep, that was me. Praise the Lord for Jesus. I'm, I'm asking God to work in my heart. We, we embrace it. We don't run from sin. We're not scared to talk about it. We say, yep, sin's all present. Yep. But we got a good God. 
We don't reject blame. And we don't have to because of the cross. That's the thing. Before the cross, I get, I get you being shameful and not want to talk about sin. We can talk about it now because the accuser of the brethren is tied up. He jacked up. He accusing me. Jesus died for me, bro. I'm cool. Praise the Lord. I'm jacked up and he loves me. What a cool gift. Right? What does the Bible say about the heart? Let's talk about this. So, the heart is, from the scriptures, uh, your, 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 your essence, your center, your nature. Like, it's, it's who you truly are, right? And, and so this is why sometimes we can, mis- we can misinterpret a verse. Uh, let's talk about the heart affects everything, basically, okay? It affects your mind, your conduct, your speech, your imagination, your reasoning. So it's like the, uh, you know, I heard one, one guy say it's like the junk drawer. <laughs> you know, you put everything in in the kitchen, that one drawer that has all kind of stuff, you know? You're like, man, what's the, oh, man, you got like, you know, hot little, you know, tarts, sweet tarts, and then you got spoons, and you're like, whoa, that's the, that's the heart, right? You know there's stuff in that drawer, you're like, whoa, that shouldn't be in there. All right, so the heart affects everything, right? It's like the essence of who you are now, and so now in this promise, no one misinterprets the scripture anymore, okay? So when he says uh, things in Matthew 22, like, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, what he's not, he's not being platonic. He's not, platonic thought has, has infiltrated the Christian church, and so we think you can do a whole sermon on this and you can separate what the heart is, you can separate what the mind is. That was not the intent of the author. The intent of the author was saying, love the Lord your God with, God with everything you have, every bit of who you are. He wasn't trying, Plato was saying the spirit is better than the flesh, and that's, play, that's platonic thought. These, these guys in the first century were saying, hey, I want you to love God with everything you are, all of who you are. And so what you do when you're a writer, the way you do that is you talk about things that brings up the whole essence of, of, who, of what controls you. So this is like three ways of saying everything. That make sense? So let's look at some Proverbs. He starts off with a couple of proverbs here um, where he's just talking about um, how to protect your heart, right? He says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. 3.3, um, three, three, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on a tablet of your heart. This whole sense of like, if, the heart, if, if what I'm saying is true about the heart, it's everything. He's saying, okay, that's, that's what controls. That's the essence of all of who you are. So what we need to do, uh, because now you love the Lord, we need to now feel that, that heart that controls, and that's the essence of who you are with God's stuff. So you take his commandments, you take his ways, you follow his people, and you store that stuff. That's what you need to put in there, right? You see the urgency of why we're in Proverbs, why we read the Bible? This is why it's important. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. An ever-flowing, says you, you ever see a, spring, a, flow, a flowing spring? It's in your, that's your heart. Like, what's in your heart is going to flow out of you. We're going to look into that in a moment. We're going to look into that one. It says here, those of a crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but uh, those of blameless ways are his delight. Wow, so you have the crooked heart. It says, man, the, the evil heart, which we all are, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. I'm trying to uh, paint a picture of how God sees the heart. <laughs> this is humbling. This is an abomination to the Lord, right? It says, but, you know, those who are blameless, people who, who are righteous and walk with me are his delight. And could you imagine reading this before uh, seeing your Savior? Man, it would be scary. 
Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Notice the heart is all fruit stuff, right? So how do you know if someone's deceitful? How do you know? You can't, you don't know their heart. You're not Jesus. It's fruit. When you see the fruit, you know, you see evil, you go, oh, huh. I guess I can confirm that. But those who plan peace have joy, all right? It's a fruit issue. Do you have joy? You have joy in your life? We should. We have our king. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaim folly. You ever met somebody like that? You ever met a wise guy? We got wise people in this body. You know, when I was up, uh, I was interning right before I, um, i trying to think what age I was. I was interning at a church before I got married to my beautiful wife, so about 10 years ago. And um, this one pastor, man, he was awesome. Um, he, would, he would always talk about, he'd say, Eric, he'd say, he'd say, wise people, you remember the rapper Flava Flav? Remember how he used to wear the big old clock? Remember that? And, he, and we had, a, we had a, a young boy in our, and I was doing a youth ministry at that time, and, and I was just so frustrated because one boy was just like super arrogant, you know, and I didn't know how to deal with him. So I was talking to Carlton, our pastor. He was awesome. He's an awesome brother. He's in San Diego now serving the Lord. And he said to me, Eric, buddy, you got to be patient with him. Some people, he said, you know, you got to teach him that some people, you have wisdom. You have stuff to say. And they wear, they wear their knowledge like flavor flav. you know. They're just like, yeah, hey, look at me. Look at all this. He's like, no, but a wise man, you wear your knowledge like a pocket watch. And you just pull it out when you need to. You just kind of, you just kind of chill, and when you need to, you bloop, <laughs> bloop, and and that stuck with me. Have you ever seen somebody that's always running their mouth? Right? Scripture says, "But the heart of fools is proclaims folly." Ah, but it's just stupid, you know. And you know, you you look, you look at each other like, "Man, that was stupid." It's fruit. Let's be that guy. Let's be the guy who, who wears our, our knowledge like a pocket watch. The backslider in the heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Mm. As water reflects a face, so a man reflects a man. I'm sorry, so the man's heart reflects a man. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever been up to like an like absolute still water? You ever walked up to like a pond and it's totally still? And you see your reflection. Seen that? Have you done that? He says, that's the way. He says, that's what, that's what the heart does. Like, you can see yourself. You can see clearly who you are. So a man's heart. How? Through his actions. So we don't like to sometimes have that water be still because it might show us something we don't like to see. So, we're going to jump back and forth into some Proverbs, and then we're going to do a little more uh, training. So from there, what we learn is your life is a reflection of your heart, okay? Is that how you do life is reflected by, by, by what's in you, okay? And I want to propose legalistic change is not what we're looking for here. And that's what the Bible is trying to teach you and me. Behavioral change without addressing the heart is not our heart. That's not what we're trying to be about. Now, what that looks like is when you, when you and I are more focused on changing our morality, changing our ethics, changing our lifestyle, versus really understanding what's in our heart. We, you know, there's people, even in our body, I'll counsel them, right? 
and there'll be an issue, and, and I'll bring up an issue. So say I bring up an issue of disapproval. So say there's something that they've done wrong. Without, you know, and this is, this is, this is just because we, built, we have like a shame culture. We think, and that's why we got to blame. We think when we're wrong, something's wrong with us. Like, we're, okay, we're, we're less valuable, and we want to be valuable because the world tells us it's about us, so we have to blame, so we can be comfortable with saying, I'm still a value, okay? And so some of the defense mechanisms is, so say I, as your pastor, say, hey, here's an issue. I notice it when people automatically just want to get the effect right. They don't want to deal with the heart. They don't want to deal with why it happened. They don't want to deal with just going that journey together. They're just like, okay, I'll change it. I'll stop doing it. You see that? When, you, when that's your focus, when it's like, I, did, I said this to this person, I, I won't do it anymore. You, you kind of missed it. Because we're not just trying to change your morality. I don't, I don't want you just being a bunch of behavioral robots. This is the place where we want you to love Christ. So if you just want to, oh, because you're embarrassed. Oh, don't, don't tell me I'm bad, please. Oh, no. I'll change it. Just, okay, change the subject. You already told me. Please stop. You ever do that? You ever do that with your spouse? You ever do that with your friends here? Someone wants to just love on you? We're like, no, no, no. My, my mom and my dad, everybody told me I'm nothing. Please don't tell me that. We can't even receive it. We need gospel light to shine on us. That's not what we're trying to do, guys. Legalistic change, no. Right? Emphasizing surface issues. Um, this is people who are saying, hey, I, I want to stop doing pornography. Hey, I, 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 I want to stop drugs. I want to stop anger. Like, when, when it's like, when people are more concerned about, like, you know, accountability groups. Man, I didn't look at porn. Yeah, we're almost more excited about, like, not doing something versus trusting Christ. The goal isn't to just have this, mo- like, now I don't look at porn, but I'm still a pervert in my heart. See, you still missed it. It's about enjoying Christ. And then he allows that whole perversion to say, man, that's just not me. And now I fight it with a different motivation. You follow me, guys? And this is why I believe prayer life, man, is so important because at the end of the day, we're sitting here, we, we say all this, and we're all like, yeah, yeah. But then we're like, man, there's a struggle because I still got to do something. So it's kind of crazy, right? You know that God, God's grace has to cover us. God is the one who has to end your drinking problem. God is the one who has to allow you to quit being angry with your spouse or with your friends. God is the one who's got to allow you not to live a life grumpy, right? God is the one who's got to say, I'm going to rid you of, of sexual addiction. I'm going to rid you of, 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 you know, deceitfulness. I'm going to rid you of bitterness and jealousy, right? Right? You, do you know you, you just can't do that, right? You know you just can't, okay, I'm not going to be jealous anymore. And that person walked by and you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how it is. You be worshiping Jesus. Oh, Lord, got a good sermon. I'm crying. You know, got communion. You know, you come out. You're that person. Mm-hmm. What's up? Because you can't just birth spiritual stuff because it's born of the spirit. Right? That's John 3. He says spirit gives birth to spirit. You can't give birth to spirit. You're human. So how does that happen? God has to do it. We got to pray. We got to pray for this stuff. People want to come to Christ. People talking about, okay, I hear what you're saying about the cross. I just don't know if I, I don't get it yet. Pray. Ask God to show you. God has to lead you to salvation, man. My words, I might bring it. That's not going to lead you to salvation. God has to birth 
a new heart in you and in your hearts. You're not going to just say, okay, Lord, thank you. I'm saved now, but now I'm, I'm, it's all about me now. No, the same grace that grabbed you and made you new is the one that makes you more like Jesus. You got to ask the Holy Spirit, allow me to love my, my wife, my girlfriend. Allow me to walk with the Lord. Allow me, Lord, would you give me the grace to be a good daddy? You got to ask the Lord. If you're not asking the Lord more than you try to do it, you've, you've missed it. And I've missed it as your pastor. You need to talk to the Lord way more than you try to do these things. So, let's look at a few more verses. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Right? It's giving us that depiction. The essence of who you are. You know, with your words. Think about this stuff as you're looking at these verses. How do, are you a life giver with your words? You go, man, well, I don't know. Why? Well, because she said this to me. No, 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 because your heart's evil. You see that? We don't like that. Why you call me evil, E? Just being honest. That stuff flows out of you. That's what Jesus says right now. What goes in a man that defiles him, it was come out of a man. What's his point? His point is, we want to go, no, 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 Connor took my toy. It's Joe, right? No, that's why I hit him. No, you hit him because at that point you didn't have love in your heart. Quit blaming your bro. So because he sinned against you, now you can sin against him? No. Right? A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Quiet heart. Peaceful. You know we love these people, right? We want to be, I love them just being a peaceful person, man. They just don't care what you think. I love those kind of cats, right? Not cats who just wild out and don't care and who's doing destruction. That's evil. But people, man, who walk the Lord, you know. I mean, we, we, me and Sarah, we even love, we love, like if you, if you hang with Betty long enough, we love Betty because she'll just be like, she'll just tell you like, hey, you know, she'll give you standards and it's like, you just need to, you need to live with it. You know, you need to, she'll be like, hey, I want to bring you over a meal, but I'm only going to bring over two now. <laughs> All right? You ain't, don't keep calling me for meals. I love you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You'd be like, dang, like, ain't nobody ever came to me like that. Like, just, just put the standard out there. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know that's Betty, right? Isn't that, isn't it refreshing though? You know you're staying with her. The, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. You see that, guys? We talked about knowledge of the Holy One. But the mouths of the fools feed on folly. You see that? A, a, a good heart, a heart uh, that's good, understands and seeks knowledge. It says, I want to know. How do you seek knowledge? We talked about it last week. You're devouring the scriptures, right? Everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. But humility comes before honor. Haughtiness, disposition. You just feel like, I got it together. It rises up so quick. Many times it goes unchecked. It says, man, that's right before destruction. But humility, just that humble disposition, 
people who just trust the Holy Spirit, they trust time, they just realize they don't have it all together. Those people praise the Lord. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the limp of the wicked, are sin. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Check this out. You, you experience this? Eat and drink, he says to you, but in his heart he's not with you. People with evil hearts, we're kind of like, we're kind of shy in that way, right? We say, oh, I'm cool, we cool. Mm, I can't stand him. You ever done that to somebody? They've been done to you before? You're like, I thought we was cool. You're dogging me with him and her. What happened, man? That's what happened. Your heart was evil. You're evil when you're doing these things. Are you doing these things? See, a lot of times, let me just do a little illustration. We've bought into the lie of the world, right? We, ought, we, we can think that um, we really don't believe the fact that our hearts are wicked inside. And so what we do a lot of times, we'll say, when someone sins against us, we, we, don't, we don't really, we don't calculate it, but, we'll, but in our response, this is what we do. We, you have... Uh, the scriptures are saying that uh, when, when Jesus fills us, I think it's in John, John 7, it says, out of us flow streams of living water, right? And so you even have the sense of like that living water flows out of a person who's in the spirit. Fair? Okay. Now, when this is talking about that basically an evil heart is kind of like, it's kind of a sewage, okay? It's kind of like just a nasty water, all right? What Jesus is saying when he says it's not what goes in a man, but it's what comes out of a man that defiles him, he's trying to help us understand something, is that if stuff is in you that's, that's, that's life and that's, and that's pure, he says even when you wronged, right, even when, even when life bumps you, right, what flows out? What flows out? Good water. Someone sins against you. Someone dogs you and maligns you. Someone treats you like crap. Right? And, and then we say, we go, well, what? do we say, well, no. But he, he, shouldn't have, he shouldn't have done that to me. If he wouldn't have done this to me, then I wouldn't have done this to him. Or if they wouldn't have treated me like this, I, and we almost say, no, no, no. See, that person, what he did was he put, he put sewage and bad stuff in my heart, and then he hit me, and that, that flowed out. I want to propose what Jesus is saying. He says, in life, all that really happened was you got bumped, and what was revealed was your evil heart. That's all that happens, is that when we get bumped, no matter what the situation, and it's sewage, all God is showing us is you got evil in your heart. And that if really living waters flow out of you, even when you're hit, what flows out is good water. Does that make sense? Let's stop blaming. Let's stop blaming. Truth isn't put in there. Beware of self-deception. Beware of self-deception, guys. Because the world tells us that, no, 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 you're okay. And, and here's the thing that's scary about this. Man, I'm telling you, if there's like four big things I could teach, <laughs> I would teach people, like if I was on my, my deathbed, one of them would be, man, beware of self-deception. I'll teach on the love of God, on grace, understanding of sin, and, probably, and, and, 
probably future grace and then self-deception. Because this, this kills the church. This kills the people of God. People, we are so prone to justify ourselves. I'm telling you. You know it. We get into our thing, our ruts, and then, man, we say, my, I'm okay. My heart's okay. Look what it says in scriptures. The purposes of a man's hearts are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. It says, no, no. A person, look at that. A purpose of a man's hearts are deep waters. It's deep. Like the, the way you're feeling, just understanding your heart, that's some, that's some intense stuff. And that actually only a person of understanding can really get there. That if you're evil and self-deceived, you won't even get there. You'll be self-deceived. All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. It's the whole point there. Yeah, it seems right to you. And then what we do is when something seems right to you, what do you do? Do you go and go out and, and, and share it to the masses? No, because you're evil just like me. We got to find a camp of people who agree with me. That's what we do, right? Don't that make, that's, that seems like evil wisdom. It's smart, but it's evil. You don't go to people who you know going to disagree with you. Hey, man, should I buy a Maserati? Let me ask Matthew Rojek. That ain't going to happen. I ain't asking him. He can tell me to get a Ford. I'm going to somebody else, right? And I'm going to go to three of them. Until, until three people tell me to do what I want to do, then I'm going to go, I'm supposed to do this. Three people told me. My heart's right. I went to bed last night. Have you done that? I've done it, right? Beware of that. Beware of that self-deception. Soon as you see yourself having to remove yourself from the general assembly and having to do certain things and gird yourself around a few people who agree with what you agree with, beware of that. That is a litmus test for self-deception. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on, uh, on soda. He's talking about wisdom here. This is one I just put in because I thought it was interesting. Let's be wise. Someone's hurting. You ever had that? Their, their heart's broken. And you come in talking about, you know, with pithy sayings or, but God is good or something. And you're like, really, dude? My son just got killed. Really? So now I don't think God's good because I'm sitting here crying? He says, you're like that dude, man, it's just freezing outside. You take off my coat. My wounds open and you pour vinegar in it. He says, be wiser than that. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Have you seen this before? Right? So, so you going out, wilding out, doing all your stuff, then it pays back, pays you back, right? And then you Kwame in jail, right? And then you mad at Jesus. Have you ever had a heaven in your life? I've had it happen in my life. I'm, I'm doing my dirt, and then I'm like, man, Lord, why you let me get caught? You're supposed to be gracious. You ever done that? I'm the only Christian here now. It might be my lady here. Thank you. <laughs> my goodness. Let's recap, guys. The heart is deceptive. The scriptures are trying to teach us the heart is deceptive. They're trying to teach us the heart is wicked. You believe it? That the heart is prone to self-justify. Man, you guys are like, oh my goodness. 
this is heavy, right? Why is the scripture doing this? Why? What the scripture is bringing us to this point is because the, the, the Lord always wants to show us just how messed up and jacked up we are so that we can see the diamond of Jesus. He gives us that black backdrop for a reason because he wants you to see the beauty in the cross. You understand? See, this is a heart. This is why we ought to be very patient and understanding and trying to have good, wise counsel because our hearts are messed up. There's only one person who has a good heart who can actually understand and examine our hearts, right? There's only one. That's Jesus, right? And so you go, man, what do I do now? There's two things. It's like if you, don't, if you have not given your life to Jesus, I hope you see the beauty in what, what Jesus does. Let me explain it to you. So what Jesus says, he says, I'm the only one who can heal. Look at the scriptures. Deuteronomy 30, uh, 36 says, And the Lord your God, consider and that's your heart, and that's my heart, is evil and messed up and totally decay. He says, what he will do, God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, excuse me, so thou will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all uh, your soul that you may live. He says, what I got to do because your heart's so messed up is I got to peel that hardness from your heart because you've gotten so hard. I've gotten so hard. I need, to, I need to circumcise your heart so that you can actually love me, so that you can actually experience wisdom. That's what Jesus came to do. Look what it says in the scriptures, guys. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You hear that? He says, your heart is so hard. It's a stone. It's a rock. You do your own thing. He says, but I'm gracious. I'm not going to let you stay evil. But if you will come to me, you will come to your Savior, I'll give you a heart of flesh so that it can beat again, so that you can enjoy again, so that you can love again. So that you can experience the wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One again. In Romans, he talks about these verses. I love it how he transitions these same verses that he's talking with the Israelites to the Gentiles, to the people of God universally. Why? To help you understand that this wasn't just to the Israelites. This was to the people of God. But a Jew, uh uh-oh. In Romans, not Romans, Romans. <laughs> but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not for man, but from God. See, he's still using that same vernacular to help us understand a theological principle of circumcision, spiritual circumcision, okay, what God has done in the people of God. Um, and so let me explain that. So what happens is, uh, we have audacity in our, we sin against God, and basically we're saying that we we're, we're actually want to be God, and you're, you're, you shouldn't be God. That's what we do. Uh, we have the audacity to try and just displace God, okay? And then God, what he should have done, he should have killed all of us. He should have destroyed us all. But because of his gracious mercy, he would have been totally just in doing so. He didn't. What he does is he, be, he shows his grace and his mercy by bringing, sending his son, Jesus, who's God and human, at the same time, he says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to still pay, I'm going to have someone pay for your sin because it deserves to be paid for. I am righteous, but I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to kill my own son. 
And in killing my son, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take his righteousness and it's going to pay for your unrighteousness. And then he's going to impute that righteousness on you. And then I'm going to take your sin away. That's what the father does because of Jesus. He kills his son for us. He he sheds his son's blood for us. And he says, if you would now believe that I'm that gracious to do that for you, to give you Jesus, my son, for your salvation, for you to be saved and not to experience total damnation, to experience total eternal destruction forever in hell, you will be my people and you will receive a circumcised heart. You will receive co-heirship. You will receive life abundant. You will receive life eternal. Why? Because of grace. Nothing you've done, you're evil, and you, if you could have killed me, you would. This is the father talking, but you can't because he's the father and we're not. But I'm gracious. I love you, and I want you to experience joy. I want you to experience life. That's what Christianity is all about. It's all about the cross and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus, what he's done for us, what he's done for all of creation. And then he exalted himself as king and said, I'm the king of all creation, both created and uncreated things. Everything must bow to me. And that's what we're doing right now. We're his missionaries. We're telling the world that that's a reality and that Jesus is coming back to take over all creation, to take back all his stuff. And so will you side with him or will you not? Will you be a fool or will you be wise? That's the disposition we all have. So we live life on blocks and we neighbor just letting the world know that there is a king who loves you, who paid the ultimate price for you. You didn't even deserve it. You don't des- I can't believe he did it. Can't believe he did it for me, but he did. The question is, will you receive it? If you are playing church, if you've grown up in church all your life, and you, don't really, you didn't really get it, you didn't get that, oh, Jesus died for me, he rose for me, and then what he does is he makes me righteous because of his blood, nothing I've done. And he gives me a heart to now follow him. And so now he, I'm his son, I'm his daughter, and he asked me now to have a missional mantle, that my whole purpose in life has changed. My whole focus, I was, used to was, I was about money and jobs, now I'm about Christ. Now it's about proclaiming him. No matter if I'm gregarious or I'm shy, he says my whole life is now about the Savior and making his name known to the nations so that everyone might get an opportunity to experience what we're experiencing. That is joy, peace. I'm not an enemy of God, now I'm his friend. That's the gospel story. That's why we gather. That's why we enjoy Christ. Circumcises our heart. That's what he does. Here's a question. So God, he chances our heart and it is his righteousness that we are given, as I've just said. Our response is this. We repent of our sins. If you're going, well, what do I do? I know I've come up many times to the altar. I, it's no magic show. It's an issue of faith. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he says, if you will believe in Jesus, if you will put your faith and your trust and your confidence in your perfect Savior, what he says, he forgives you of your sin, he washes us clean, he makes us his child, and guess what? He does all that. And then he says he protects you and he carries you through life until your home with the Father by faith. So what do you do? You believe on Jesus. Quit believing in yourself. Quit believing in your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Quit believing in your car and your house. Quit believing in your intellect. Quit believing in your religiosity. And he says believe in Jesus. 
We believe in Jesus and we repent. We, we turn. We say, I turn from my evil. I turn from my, my, my own self-worship, my own self-idolization, and I turn toward Jesus. We repent. We turn from our, our evil. We ask the Lord, Lord, allow me to be a man and woman who wants to enjoy you. The heart of God is what he gives us. Our heart was evil. And now he says, in Christ, we can experience a Holy Spirit heart that responds to God. But notice in the Proverbs, there's a continual cleansing on this side of heaven. We need to be wise, okay? What are we going to do right now, guys? I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to ask that you would think in your heart, Holy Spirit, give me a heart not to blame. Give me a heart to, to see what you've given me, to be okay where I'm at, and trust you. And here's what I want you to do, guys. Some of you right now, you've never experienced that. You, you have not, get, you, you're still having the rock, the rock heart. And you're not a believer. You, maybe you, you've been playing through, going through the motions. Or maybe you, you really haven't said, Lord, you're my king. Today, I want to ask you to say, Lord, I want you to be my king. By faith, I give my life to you. I don't have it all together. I got a lot of questions. I'm still scared. I don't even know how this works. But Jesus, will you pick up the slack and will you be my king? Will you inform my heart? Do what you do. I don't know what you do. I just know I believe you rose for me. And I'm telling you, Jesus, he doesn't go, he doesn't, he doesn't falter on his promises. He's not like man. He'll be your king. He'll give you a new heart. Some of us, many of us in this room, hopefully not many, maybe your heart's hard. I mean, you, you've gone through so long that your heart has become callous. And you, you, you become a justifier of your own ways. You become a blame shifter. You decide how you want to see church done, what you want to do. You have decided, this is what my life's going to be like. And your heart's hard. You're saved by grace. You're experiencing, you, God has saved you. But man, you're not even hearing him anymore. As we take communion, as we, as, we, as we do tithe, what I want you to do, we're going to have some people up here praying. I want to ask some, some of our, our elders to come up. And if you just want to pray and have people to seek the Lord on your behalf and just spend time just asking the Lord to do what you cannot do in yourself, just to just have God just wash you from the guilt that Satan tries to put on you, wash you from the blame and say, Lord, I can talk about sin because I have my Savior. Ask the Lord to teach you how to be holistic in your worship to Jesus. You don't got to compartmentalize things that make your Christianity palatable. We can eat it all because of the cross. Okay? So here's how it's going to go. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, we're going to have tithe and offerings going to go by. After that, we're going to bring the men down for communion. All right, they're going to do communion. If you're not a believer, we ask that you allow these elements to pass by you. This is for the people of God, okay? What we're doing right now is we're saying by taking the wafer, we're recognizing God's body broken for us because that's what he did on the cross. As we take the wine, we're saying, God, we're recognizing your blood shed for our sin. You, you spilled your blood for us. And when we do that, we take it and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That's what we're doing. After you do that, if you want to spend time praying, I'm going to ask, you know, Matthew Rojek and for the elders to come up and stand here uh, with your brides. 
And let's just, let's just pray and worship God. If someone you see a leader in the body and you just want to pray with them, let's pray. Let's ask God to do something we can't do in ourselves. Don't look at other people. Don't worry about other people. You worship your king. All right? We're going to be singing here. We're going to celebrate. These verses, you go, man, my heart's evil, my heart's evil, my heart's evil. You, no, no, it's a celebration. See, because we end with the gospel. The story always ends with the gospel. See, so let's go and let's ask the Lord to do a work in us, okay? Enjoy Jesus. Cry out to him. Cry. Allow religious affection. Just enjoy your Savior. So I'm going to pray for our tithe and offering. Then we're going to have communion. You take it wherever you get it. When you get it, you can go in the corners. You can sit down wherever you want to take your communion. Just make sure you love Jesus. If you come to Christ today, have this be the first expression of your worship to Christ. Communion. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we worship and adore you. We exalt you as our king. We thank you for providing resources. Um, Lord, would you, would you please use these resources toward uh, your end? We just trust you with that. And, Lord, we ask that as we take communion, Lord, would you just cleanse our hearts and just allow us to bask in your presence. Holy Spirit, uh, just fill this place by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you, if you are, as we do tithe and offering, you guys can go. Uh, I just want you to know, uh, if you're a visitor, please, you don't have to give. This is not about compulsion. This is about worship. Mac Avers get that, that this is about worship. You're our guest. We love having you. Um, but if you realize that you're worshiping Christ right now by giving, worship your king. But we do this because Christ has done everything for us. So don't give out a compulsion. Just enjoy. Hopefully you've heard the gospel. Hopefully you'll respond to the gospel.